Genesis 44, page 36. You're going to want to have it handed out because we're reading the whole chapter, all 34 verses. Remember, we're at the point in the story where the brothers are all packed up. They've worked out that whole silver situation the first time, and uh, they're ready to go back home to Jacob with all their food, and everything looks like it's going to be just fine. But then Joseph commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the top of his sack again. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the top of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. When they had gone only a short distance from the city, Joseph said to his steward, Go, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you returned evil for good? Why have you stolen my silver cup? Is not... Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? Does he not indeed use it for divination? You have done wrong in this. When he overtook them, he repeated these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants that they should do such a thing. Look, the money that we found at the top of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. Why then would we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Should it be found with any of your servants, let him die. Moreover, the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. The steward said, even so, in accordance with your words, let it be. He with whom it is found shall become my slave, but the rest of you shall go free. Then each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. The steward searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then each one loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house while he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you know that one such as I can practice divination? And Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Here we are then, my Lord's slaves, both we and also the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the one in whose possession the cup was found shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah stepped up and said, O my Lord, let your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears and do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. He alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he leaves his father, his father would die. 
And you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we can't go down. Only if our youngest brother goes with us will we go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he's been torn to pieces and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and any harm comes to him, you will bring down my gray hairs to sorrow in Sheol. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, when he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became surety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I will bear the blame in the sight of my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain as a slave to my Lord in place of the boy and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the suffering that would come upon my father. This is the word of the Lord. So earlier this week, a couple of days ago, Tiger Woods missed the cut for a big golf tournament this weekend. He didn't make it, didn't make the cut, didn't get to play, which affects your life not at all and my life not at all. But it was interesting in this regard because Tiger Woods had the weekend off. He had a little free time. And if we know something about Tiger Woods, we know that in the past when he's had a little free time, he hasn't made very good choices. And it's been really interesting to watch how commentators are, are talking about how this setback is going to affect Tiger Woods. You know, he, he had that big apology that was broadcast live on ESPN, and he's like been so repentant, and he's made apologies, and he's been in rehab, you know, but this setback could like stir it all up again. Because you know, we don't know if he's really changed. It's hard to tell. It's so soon. Has he really changed? You hear people go back and forth. Well, I think, you know, 30 days in rehab. And well, back to you, Bob. I don't really know. Nobody knows. Nobody, I mean, how do you tell if somebody changes? How can you tell if somebody's really changed? Can people really change? It's an important question. It's an important question when we're dealing with other human beings, and it was a very important question for Mr. Joseph in the story. He sets up this first test, the one with the silver in the top of the sacks, to figure out how much have they changed. Like, are they going to come back? Are they going to be honest? He sets up this second test in a very particular way to reproduce the events that landed him in Egypt. Once again, we have the option of silver or freedom. Once again, the brother whose life is most at stake is the child of Rachel and Jacob. Once again, Jacob 
loves this son more than all the others. Once again, they've got a choice to make. Are they going to abandon this son and make off with their own goods and silver and go back home and just leave him? Or are they going to do the right thing? Have they really changed? Because we heard from them the first time they came down a couple of years ago, we heard from them some remorse over what they had done to Joseph. Oh, we shouldn't have done this. It's so bad. We're getting payback now for what we did to him. And Reuben's like, oh, you should have listened to me the first time. Can't believe you didn't listen to me. Total older brother, right? Oh, you should have listened to me. Yeah, shut up. Right? The whole thing happens. So Joseph sets up this whole test again, one more time. Have they really changed? Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jacob was guarding his heart. That's why he didn't want Benjamin to go back. It was like, I can't bear it if I lose this kid. In this story here, Joseph is guarding his heart. He knows what these people are capable of. He's living out the time that they failed the test 20 years ago. He knows what they're capable of. So you sense that he's guarding his heart to find out if these people have really changed. It's an important question. Can people change? One of the things about being a human being, living among other human beings, is that there are times when the human beings around us really disappoint us. Some of you may have come into this year and you thought, oh, I think my roommate and I are going to get along great. And you had these high expectations about how it was going to go. And then kind of over the semester, you'd say things like, hey, I really don't want to sleep with the window open. And she wouldn't change. And you'd be like, oh, I've asked her again. Could we close the window? Could we close the window? And, I, and it didn't change. And then you're like, uh, hey, um, it really, I can hear your text messagey thing going off like at 2 and 3 and 4 in the morning. Could you just like maybe silence that or put that on fire? I just, it's really hard to sleep. And he's just like, eh, eh, eh. You know, you ask him a couple of times and he just doesn't change. And now you're at the point where you thought, man, I thought this was going to be a really good connection and a good relationship. And now I'm just like crossing the days off the calendar until I don't have to live with this person anymore. Right? And for some of you, you went into a house and uh, you all went into a house together legally. And you thought, this is going to be a great experience. We're going to bond. We got along so well on the floor last year. Okay, two people kind of got along, didn't really know each other well. But, but they say they're going to get along, and it's going to be great. We're going to live in this house, and we're going to like, make meals together and like, have prayer times, and it's going to be just fantastic. And then you get in the house, and you find out that the two people who really didn't know each other well don't like each other at all. And they make it really hard for the other people in the house. And this idea that you had about what things could look like is just kind of blown to smithereens and you ask them each along the way, hey, could you get, give the other person a break? You know, we think she's cool. We think nothing, 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 nothing. And now you're at the end of the year and you found completely different people to live with next year and 
just been a big disappointment. And for some of you, you know that you've changed a lot this year. You're doing your own laundry. Some of you could do it a little more regularly. But you're doing your own laundry, you're planning your own schedule, you're getting your homework done, you're making your own choices. You've really grown up a lot. And you feel a little bit more mature than you did last September when you showed up on our doorstep. And now you're looking at a summer when you have to go back and live with your parents. And your parents are pretty convinced that you are the same person who left them back in September. And you want to be able to say to them, no, I've changed, I've changed so much. I've grown up. Don't treat me like that. I haven't had a curfew in nine months. I don't want one now. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Yes, right, yes, uh-huh, been there. And you want to be able to say, no, I've really changed. I've really changed. And some of you have a thing that you have been wanting to change since you got here. You thought maybe college would be the fresh start. You could finally shake off that problem. You could move beyond that addiction. Certainly there would be new routines. You would stop with four hours of video games every day, knowing that it costs you so much in the area of relationships and academic success and a devotional life. You were gonna give up the pornography. You were gonna give it up cold. You were gonna stop the cutting. You were gonna stop the smoking. You were gonna stop the drinking. You were gonna stop. It was gonna be a clean start. It was gonna be fresh. It was gonna be new. It was gonna be new friends and a new place. And before you know it, you're here doing all the same things again. And you're saying, God, I so wanna change. I just wanna change. And here it is, the end of the academic year. And I just, I'm just as stuck as I was. And now I'm just even more angry at myself and disappointed. Can people change? Can people change? Joseph set up this whole test as a way to figure out if his brothers had changed. And you notice that whole line about the divination, right? Oh, that's the cup used for divination. Didn't you know that I practice divination? And the whole idea there is that Joseph wants to say to them unconsciously, he wants them to know in their minds there is something much bigger than us going on here and we can't control it. Joseph wants them to feel just as helpless and just as reliant on the mercy of God as he did when he went through it. And what happens is that the mercy of God shows up big. Because which brother was it that steps up? Judah, right? Okay, Judah. Now, we, we have kind of warm, fuzzy thoughts about Judah because we think about the line of the tribe of Judah, and we have that in the song and stuff. Judah, not so much a good guy. Judah was the guy who said a few chapters ago, oh, let's not kill him, let's sell him off to the Ishmaelites. 
And they all said, hey, that's a great idea, Judah. That's fantastic. Judah was the guy who sold Joseph to the slaves, traitors. It was Judah. And then there's this really interesting little story that we didn't cover in our series. (laughs) She knows what it is. So there's this little story, a little interlude in the Joseph story while Joseph is trekking off on down to Egypt where Judah, who is older and like a grown-up at this point, and has sons, and one of his sons gets married to a woman named Tamar, and that son dies, and by rights, the next-born son has to be married to Tamar, and he gets married to her, and then he dies, because he's disobedient, and then he's got one more son, and Judah's like, hmm, I don't like this pattern. Number one son marries Tamar, dies. Number two son marries Tamar, dies. Number three son, not gonna marry Tamar. And so he says, oh, just wait till he grows up. Then it'll all work out. And she's like, "Mm mm-hmm, I don't think so. You are not gonna follow through. You are not gonna be a man of your word. You're not gonna be a man of principle. So Tamar takes matters into her own hands. She dresses like a prostitute, goes on the side of the road. When Judah passes by for sheep shearing, he's like, hey. She's like, hey. Little transaction occurs. I know, you're all like, ew, yes, right? Father-in-law, ew. Transaction occurs, and he's like, oh, uh, I left my wallet in my other robe. And she's like, oh, that's okay, just leave me your staff and your cord. And he's like, oh, okay. Turns out, people come to him and say, your daughter-in-law Tamar is pregnant. And he's like, what? Burn her, what he says. Burn her for whoring around, it's literally what it says. And then she's like, oh really, he wants to burn me? Mm, Show him these. I know. (laughs) And then Judah sees that these are his and he's like, oh, Mm." And what he says is, she was more righteous than I. She was more righteous than I because I was disobedient I should have been right by her. I didn't give her my third son. That was wrong. That wasn't the way to go. It's forgiven. That's Judah, all right? Not so much a man of integrity. A man who's willing to sell his brother into slavery, have sex with a prostitute, burn a daughter-in-law for whoredom, right? This is not somebody that they're gonna do a, a Hallmark Hall of Fame special about. That's not Judah. He's a bad guy. It's kind of smarmy. Smarmy, you like that word, didn't you? (laughs) But here's what the author says. When he starts to identify people in verse 14, he says, Judah and his brothers. So we get a little flag. Now, who was the firstborn son? Reuben, right? Is Reuben mentioned in the story? No. Who's the secondborn son? Good. Is Simeon mentioned in the story? No. Who's the third-born son? Levi. You're so good. I'm so proud of you. Yes, he mentioned the story? No. Fourth-born son, Judah. Judah and his brothers. There's a little tip that says Judah's gonna be the man. And then I love the way the NRSV translates verse 18. Then Judah stepped up. I wish he just said that rather than the to him. Judah stepped up because that's what he does. He steps up. Judah, this man who has made horrible choices in his life. 
This man who has every reason to be ashamed, to be disgraced, to never show his face in a public way with his family again. He could have let one of the other brothers take the lead because they all knew what he had done with his life. Judah steps up. And he gives this speech that recounts everything that's happened so far. And what we see in the speech are some really key things. First of all, we see that Judah has amazing compassion for his father. This is the father who still refers to all of the rest of them as kind of extras. I had two sons, he says. You laughed at that line now because you know the story. I had two sons, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Judah's like, yes. Yes, he loves this son, Benjamin, more than he loves the rest of us, and I can just say that out loud without resentfulness, without wishing it were different. I can just accept that about my dad. He loves this kid more than he loves me. I get that. I also know that if he hears word that Benjamin isn't coming back, he's going to die. He's going to die. And we have the sense that Judah, for 22 years, has been living, watching the grief affect his father year after year after year after year. And he thinks, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that to my father. I'm not going to bring his gray head down to Sheol in sorrow. I can't do that. It's not going to happen. I have pledged my surety to my father about this situation. And because of that, Judah says, take me instead. Take me instead. Judah this man with a miserable past who's made really bad choices steps up in the moment of reckoning when he says what needs to happen right now is for someone to offer his life in the place of Benjamin's, I'm going to do it. And what we see in this story here in Genesis 44 is that God has been acting in the life of Judah just like he's been acting in the life of Joseph. We've had more of the camera been on the life of Joseph, watching him change, watching him grow up. He's not the 17-year-old, snot-nosed, whiny, arrogant kid that he was. He's now almost 40. He's matured. He's grown. He's got responsibility. But God's also been working in the life of Judah. But we see in this story that God has been working to change Judah's life. God has been active in the life of Judah, this person who made horrible choices all along the way. God's like, "Mm, I got it. I'm on it. You don't think I can deal with this too? Because I can. I don't care how messed up it is. I got it. Can people change? No. Can God change people? Yes. You bet. God can change people. 
God changes people all the time. This little snapshot here from Genesis 44 is just one example of a hundred about how God is working to change people's lives. If you're anxious about going home for the summer because you don't think your parents are really going to get how much you've changed, use this sentence with them. Mom, Dad, I want to tell you what God has done in my life this year. Oh, that's going to get them. You want to give your mom the best Mother's Day present next, uh, next Sunday, a week from today? You've all been warned, a week from today is Mother's Day. If you want to give your mom or someone in your life who means a lot to you the best present ever, you say, Mom, let me tell you what God's done in my life this year. Oh, better than a Hallmark card, better than flowers, better than chocolate. It's the best thing. Mom, Dad, let me tell you what God's done in my life this year. Let me tell you how much I've grown. Let me tell you what he's been up to in me. Let me tell you how I failed and how I recovered. Let me tell you my disappointments. Let me tell you my successes. Let me tell you what God's been doing in my life. And if you've got people you're living with right now who have disappointed you along the way because they haven't changed, have you prayed for God to do something there? Either A, in their life, or B, in yours? So that if they never close the window, if they never deal with the phone, if they never get along the way they're supposed to be, you can let it go? Can God change you? And if you've got something that has been around you like a ball and chain all year, one of those just really ugly things that you just wanted to change and it hasn't changed, remember that God is always up to something and God can change people. And one of the best ways God changes people is when he changes them by using other people. So people have come up to you over the year and said to you, you know, you may want to go see a counselor about that and you blew them off. Or you may want to go to health services about that and you just ignored them. Or why don't you go pray with somebody about that and you just shut. If there's somebody who came to you and said, there's a way that you can seek help and you just shoved them aside, that could have been God coming up and saying, I want to change you and this is how it's going to happen. And counseling is tough and it takes work, but go for it. Invest yourself in it. Being vulnerable to somebody else is hard, but come on, that's how we do it. Admitting that you're an addict takes a lot of courage, but guess what? You'll be in a room with a whole bunch of other people who are addicts too. God is always working to change us. That's what he does. That's who he is. He is always calling us from one thing into another thing. I have this testimony I want to show you from someone who doesn't go to Calvin. She's a college student. And I want you to listen when she talks about change. Hi. My name's Jamie, and I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents had a personal relationship with Christ, and I saw that, and um, I knew that it was important by how important it was to them, and um, it was it was kind of important to me growing up for a long time. Then um, in high school, 
like about my junior year, I started hanging out with these people that were like the cool crowd at school and um, they were involved in like drinking and smoking, smoking marijuana and um, you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to be a part of something cool and something that everyone looked at and thought was thought was neat. And so it was really different for me, but I just started hanging out with these people and uh, you know, they they would always encourage me to try new stuff and um, they knew where my priorities were, that you know, I was the good girl or whatever, but um, they really seemed to think I was really cool and gave me a lot of attention when I'd do anything and um, I just really felt like loved by them and accepted when I would try something. So I started to experiment and um, drink and um, smoke marijuana and lie to my parents and um, totally just see myself do a complete 180 like from what I used to be and now what I was and it was cool for a while I did feel like really cool and you know felt like I had more friends and by like the popular friends cool people I would go to church still every Sunday with my parents they had no idea what was going on and they still trust me with everything and you know um, I would just I just got used to lying to them then it started to kind of get to a place where I wasn't happy anymore and I realized that um, these people didn't like me for who I was and what I really wanted but that um, a lot of times what they wanted to do was just becoming like what they would pressure me to do I didn't like the things I was doing but I felt trapped in doing them and um, I would try to change I try to change my habits I would try to not hang out with those people but it wasn't working and um, even amidst trying to do all that I was still lying to my parents and there's just no peace it just wasn't working and um, and so I just more and more kept thinking about this God of my parents this God this forgiving God this loving God and this God that had a plan for my life and I, I just came to the point one night where I just said you know what I want that and that's the only thing that's gonna change my life because I've tried um, to change it on my own and um, so one night I just I just prayed um, that the Lord would help me and that um, that I would get to know him get to know this God personally and that he would um, do all the things that he promised to do in the Bible that he'd take care of me and handle all my worries and handle all my struggles and help me out and um, that night I saw changes like in my life um, my desires completely the things that I would struggle against um, completely like changed like I just like it's almost like God just injected me with the strength to do the things I wanted to do but I couldn't and um, just reading his word I just realized how true the things that you'd write about people and how he created them I was like oh my gosh that's me and um, he just became like I just realized why my parents um, said he was a personal God and that he loved me and he died for me and um, so it's just been amazing to to get to know that and to Jamie couldn't change herself. God had to change her. And God is still working to change people. That's what he's all about. From the match of Judah and Tamar comes a son. And from his line comes King David. And from the line of King David comes the son of Joseph named Jesus. 
horrible life, miserable choices, God changed him so that Judah stepped up and God used his descendants to bring about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we worship now during the season of Eastertide where we talk about resurrection and new life. And the truth is that God is still working to change people's lives. God is still working to take dead people, people caught up in things that are literally killing you, and bring you to life. God wants nothing more than for you to have life, to be changed into someone who is just bubbling over with what God has done in you. God is always working to change people, to bring about life where there was death, to bring about hope where there was despair, to bring about joy where there was sorrow. And he's doing that in you. God is always up to something. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you for the story of Judah, one who was so broken and made so many bad choices, but you didn't let go of him. You kept working and working and working in his life so that he becomes the leader among brothers. He becomes the one who breaks Joseph's heart. He is the one from whom the Messiah came. And Lord, we praise you that you are a God who doesn't give up on us. Even if we wander a thousand times away from you, you continually call us back. You do not grow weary. You do not get impatient. You simply draw us back again and again to a life of change. We pray generous God, that you will open our eyes to see that change. Restore our vision so that we can look in the lives of others who we think need change and can actually already see what you're doing there. We pray that we can look in our own lives and have clear vision about what you're up to there. Holy Spirit, we pray that in this week, we will see what you are doing to change us. Open our eyes, Lord. Be our vision. We pray through Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen.